Turn to John. John chapter 6. We're going to wrap up this chapter today, Lord willing, and then over the next uh, few weeks, we will be considering passages that concern our Lord's incarnation. Next Sunday, I'll be preaching in the morning, Pastor John in the evening. And then on uh, December the 12th, I will be away. I'll be in Peru preaching and teaching for that week. So I uh, appreciate your prayers as I'll be leaving on the 10th and flying down with uh, my dear friend Roland Barnes, who's the pastor of Trinity Presbyterian Church in Statesboro, Georgia. Roland and I'll be down there for eight days uh, teaching and preaching. Uh, While I'm away on December 12th, we're uh, glad to have... Uh, Pastor Brent Bradley back to preach for us in the morning service and Pastor John in the evening and then the 19th uh, Pastor Sean Morris from Virginia is going to be here to preach morning and evening for us. Sean's a young friend of mine and uh, uh, a friend of Duncan Rankin's uh, my predecessor here and you'll, uh, you'll enjoy Sean's ministry when he comes to preach for us on the 19th. Then I'll be back on, uh, what is that, the 26th. So uh, I look forward to being back home at that point. But for now, let's read God's Word. John chapter 6, verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is not this Jesus? The son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father has sent me, who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. 
When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The word that I've spoken to you, the words rather that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Then he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you? The twelve And yet one of you is a devil. He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of God endures forever and ever. I hope you believe that. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. We ask you now to bless us, cause us to be, as we, were, as we were reminded by the preacher in the Proverbs, may we not forget your teaching. May our hearts receive your teaching now. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, some of you have had, speaking of teachers, some very good teachers in your life. It may have started at home with your mom and your dad. It may have carried over into school. I remember still my dear first grade teacher, Mrs. Robinson. Uh, her husband owned the Studebaker dealership in Gadsden, Alabama. And after Studebaker, the American Motors dealership, they were faithful members of First Baptist Church, godly folks. I remember Mrs. Wright, my second grade teacher. And I remember Mrs. Klontz, my third grade teacher. And Miss Teeny Stevens, my fourth grade teacher. I didn't like her. And then on and on. My first paddling came in the sixth grade. I hate to say that. Miss Davenport did that. First paddling she ever gave. She was a young teacher. You know why? She thought I said a bad word on the playground. I didn't. I promise you, I didn't. Because my mom and daddy would kill me if I had. But she thought I did, and she thought that was an offense worthy of a paddling. I can go on with my teachers. Some of them were better than others. The worst teacher I ever had was in my senior year in high school in an advanced mathematics course. And I don't think she knew what she was doing. And that meant I couldn't know what she was doing. 
And if it hadn't been for a couple of really good-looking young ladies who were really smart, too, I wouldn't have got through that class. And then I went to college, and I had some who were really good and some who were not so good, and some were just mediocre. And so we've all got those stories, right? But here, we've got the, the, the master teacher, the teacher of all teachers, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's got three different groups of people that he's addressing here. The Jews, and I'll go ahead and say this now, because we're told at the very end of that first segment that they were in the synagogue. So the Jews who had been speaking in the synagogue would have been the scribes and the Pharisees. They would have been the, the Jewish leaders, if you will. So there he's addressing the pious leadership. And then you've got a second group. They're the populace. They're just the ordinary Jewish folks following him around. And then the last group are the 12. We just read that. That was right at the end of the portion. And so here we've got, we've been dealing with this whole theme for some time now. Jesus is the Lord. He was the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the Lord over nature. We saw him Lord over, over everything last week. And now he's, he's responding to all sorts of people. Every category of person, the religious person, the casual church member, if you will, person, the followers that are just there, they're there. They, it doesn't really change their life. It doesn't mean much to them. And the hard things, they just say, I'm not, I don't believe that. Uh, and they just let it kind of pass off like water on a duck's back. And then you got the 12. You got those who confess the faith. And even in that group, you've got one. It's not. We could spend a lot of time addressing the fact that there are several points in this passage that reflect one more time the deity of Jesus Christ. We said this originally. One of the things John is intent on doing through this whole book is proving to us that Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Nothing came into existence without him. He is God. He made it all. But we've been making those points, and I'll draw your attention to them some as we come to them. But that's not what we're going to focus on, because that's not what John's focusing on here. What John's focusing on here is what Jesus has to say to these people who have their concerns. That's what we want to look at this morning. Uh, he speaks to everyone as he speaks to these. We're all one of these people, right? We're all either a pious Jew type, and we read something in the Bible and we don't like that. I'll never forget the first person I ever heard honest enough to say something like that. He was a dear friend of our family, and she had a particular book in the Bible she didn't like, so she didn't read it. It didn't really make me shudder back then as a little boy, but now it does. But I thought, huh, I don't know how you don't like God's word. But she didn't like that book, so she just didn't read it. She grumbled about it, but she didn't read it. 
Jews a lot like these Jews. And then you got the followers. Well, let's get on into it. Jesus responds to the pious complaint is the first one. Because of what Jesus had done and who he claims to be, the Jewish leaders complain. They grumble about him. Why exactly? Well, we're told right there. It says they complained about him because he said, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. And then they go into this. Hey, wait a minute. Wasn't he born in Bethlehem? Haven't we, we've checked out, you know, we had a presidential election not too far back where, you know, everybody was trying to check out a birth certificate to see if the guy was really a citizen. Uh, and uh, that's what, you know, they, they checked out. We, you know, didn't we look at the birth certificate? He was born in Bethlehem. And, hey, we've been checking. He grew up in Nazareth. His dad was a chiseler in the, in the, in the, in the rock shop. Uh, that was the carpenter of the day. He made a lot of stuff out of stones. And, uh, and so how, how does he say that he came down from heaven? I mean, at every turn, Jesus is, is, is saying this. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I mean, Jesus can't get around this. He says it over and over in some way or other. I'm the bread who came down. The Father who sent me. And they're, they're struggling with this. You say, well, but why are they struggling with that? Well, because they knew what it meant. They knew what he was saying. He was claiming to be the son of God. He was claiming to be different from them. Even though, yes, he was born, he was born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. So he's making this, these claims over and over, one way or another, that I came down from heaven. I am the Son of God. I'm not like you. Not, not that anyone's seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Oh, that one really troubled him. Because he's been in the presence of God. And remember, they're Jews. They remember the Old Testament. No one can see God and live. Not even Moses got to see God. He could see his glory. They could see his glory, his Shekinah glory, his reflection. But they couldn't see him. They died. And this fellow says he has been in the presence and he is so holy that he could see God and not die. That's why this troubles them, if you've ever wondered. Sometimes we don't have the right mentality to understand some of these New Testament statements. But that's it right there, plain and simple. God said you can't see me and live. Jesus said I saw God. I've been with him. And they knew that meant, let us make man in our image. He's part of the us. Just to put it real plain and simple, he's claiming to be part of the us, God. 
they go back to grumbling again. And Jesus comes back to them. He says, in verse 52, he says, and, and the Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? This after he said, you got to eat and drink my blood. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. My flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. Whoever feeds. And then he says this. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Earlier than that, he had told them, he said, look, you're not going to understand any of this unless the father who sent me, he just can't get away from that sending me thing. So he sticks it right there in the middle. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. All right. Here we got doing it again, making himself out to be God. He can, he can raise people from the dead. But here's the struggle for the Jewish, the pious Jews. They are like Nicodemus. Remember Nicodemus back a few chapters earlier, John chapter 3. Jesus said, you got to be born again. Nicodemus thought physically naturally can't go back in the womb how can you do it you can't do it they're thinking the same thing eat flesh drink blood have life and Jesus says you know why you don't get this because the father who sent me is not drawing you to himself he's not your teacher he's not the one who's instructing you He's not the one who's at work in you. In other words, you're a bunch of naturalists, and this is a supernatural thing I'm talking about. That's the answer to the pious. You'd think, wouldn't you, that pious people would be spiritual people, but they're not. pious people are almost always the legalist in the church. And when you're a legalist, and that by legalist here I'm meaning they, they, they want to do the jots and the tittles. Everything's got to be exactly right. Now, we're all about doing things right, decently and orderly and obeying God. But when all of a sudden that That becomes your all in all. If that's the end of everything, is did you do it right? That's where a pious person lives generally. Not in the supernatural side of things, but in the natural. Do it, man. Jots and tittles, do it. That's the reason I said 
The pious are generally not the supernaturalist. They're living according to the flesh. They're living according to the externals. They're living according to what they can do and how they do it. And you know what? When you live that way, you start believing that's the way to heaven. It's a good place to check ourselves, isn't it? Because there is that side of Christianity. If you love me, keep my commandments. But how easy it is to just live in the keeping of the commandments and do it without love and without joy. So Jesus responds to the pious. And he calls them to faith. That's really the point, isn't it? Truly, truly, verse 47 says, stuck right here in the middle. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Don't miss that. That's the, it's in the middle of the segment concerning the Jewish leadership. It's there in the middle for a reason because it's the main thing. Truly, and notice how it's, how it's, how he precedes Truly, truly, I say to you, and he's emphasizing this. It's like he's grabbing, all of you parents have done this with your children. You're someplace, you're outside, beautiful sunset. You say, oh, look at that sunset. Isn't that magnificent? And, the, and, and your child is over here looking at a, a box that's laying on the ground to see what that box is or what's in it. And so you have to take, you have to take that little head and you have to turn it around and look at that sunset. Well, Jesus is doing that. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. With every ounce in his, in his life, Jesus is trying to turn them to the main thing and that is believe alright we go from the, from the pious little elitist there to the populist this is the big group when many of the, the many of his disciples heard this in verse 60 they said this is a hard saying who can listen to it what's the hard saying well it's everything we just read it's he came down from heaven. It's you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, this is hard. This is a hard saying. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Deity, knew in himself they were grumbling. Now, they weren't overt about it. They weren't boisterous. They weren't loud. And, but here, Jesus knew it. Do you take offense at this, he said. Well, obviously they did. He says, oh, you, you're offended? You're troubled? You're repulsed by the idea that you have to drink my blood and eat my flesh? You don't get it? This is too hard of a saying for you? Well, what if? What if you see me going back where I came from? See, all of a sudden now, he's not just talking about coming down, being sent. Now, what if you see me going back? 
and they were some of them were going to, weren't they? Remember on the, the day of ascension, they're going to be standing there gazing up into the sky, looking as he ascends and it goes through the clouds and they're standing there and they're just stuck, transfixed on that sky as it empties out of him ascending through the sky. And the angels come and say, hey, he's going to come back just like he left. You need to go do what he said to do. So some of them are going to see him ascend again. And he says, if you have trouble with me coming down, you're really going to have trouble with me going back. It's the spirit. And then he gets to the point again. It's the spirit who gives life. You're too physical. You're too naturalistic. You're too materialistic. The way you're thinking about this drink and eat thing. What if you see me ascending? It's the spirit who gives life. Flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to your spirit and life. But there are some of you, and here it is again, there are some of you who do not believe. See, this whole thing is about faith, y'all. It's about believing who he is, what he did, what he says. That's it. It's not meant to be like the Roman Catholics take it. Oh, this is about the, the flesh. So that bread has to become literally flesh. So it's consecrated. It becomes something. It changes agents. It changes its consistency. It's transubstantiated. The blood, that cup, the wine, turns into blood through the right words administered by the right people. That's not what this is about. Jesus tells us what it's about. He says, I'm talking words that are spiritual. I'm talking about faith. Do you believe in me? Do you believe that I came and I took on flesh? Do you believe that I have blood running through my veins? Do you believe that I'm very God of very God? Do you believe all this? That's what it's about. John went to a lot of trouble to try to get us to understand this by putting all this stuff down here. There are some who don't believe. And then it says, hey, another deity thing here. Jesus knew this from the beginning, who was going to believe and who wouldn't believe. Well, of course he did because he's eternal. He and the Father and the Spirit, who they chose from before the foundation of the world, they're all numbered in the book of life. Their names are recorded. Your names are recorded. He knew all that. This is why I told you, no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Have you noticed something here? We've got God the Son speaking. We've got a reference to God the Spirit. And we've got a reference to God the Father over and over. The Trinity is all through this passage. In fact, the Trinity is all through this book. This is a Trinitarian theological treatise. Well, how are they going to respond to his teaching? After this, many of his disciples, verse 66 says, turned back and no longer walked with him. That is, in the Greek, their, their normal pattern of life 
went back to the way it used to be. And that's the way it stayed. If that's not one of the saddest verses that you will read in the Bible, I don't know what is. They were like those. John picks up on this, doesn't he? He picks up on this in his first letter. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. Many went out from us because they were not of us. Had they been of us, they wouldn't have gone out from us. John no doubt had that in mind when he wrote that verse. Peter, Peter says something along the same lines. In Second Peter, verse 22, he said, It has happened to them according to the true proverb. He's talking about people who have been following and have gone away. It's happened to them, according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a sow after washing returns to wallowing in the mire. Is that clear enough as to what happens to those who choose their own Jesus or their own way of thinking about Jesus and their own way of liking Jesus? In other words, it's unacceptable. They've returned to their own vomit. They've referred, returned to the, to, the, to the pig slop. But Jesus is not finished with his teaching and his warnings. After these many, and notice many of his disciples went away, returned to their old lifestyle to stay that way. That was their, their perpetual way of living after that. Jesus turned to the twelve now. And he says, do you want to go away as well? Is this what you're going to do? And Peter pipes up. With that great confession of faith. Did you, did you notice that earlier? I mean, that, that's, that's really good. I mean, that's good theology. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus uses that as a teaching moment. There is not, folks, I'm telling you, there is not a doggone thing wrong with anything Peter said. That's good theology. But Jesus doesn't say it, does he? He doesn't pat Peter on the back. He doesn't say, hey, everybody, did you hear what Peter said? Peter, say it again a little louder. What does he do? Jesus answered, did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? Okay, here's the point. Jesus is not saying, no, you're wrong, Peter. But what he is saying is, Peter, James, 
John, Judas, and the other Judas, all you fellas, do you really believe that? Because I'm going to tell you, some of you don't believe that. Some of you say it, but here's the deal. If you believe in the right Jesus, you'll have right doctrine. But right doctrine doesn't guarantee that you believe in the right Jesus. Do you get that? If your faith is in the right Jesus, the Jesus that we're learning about in John, you will develop a right doctrine. And you'll be able to say, like Peter, you're it. You have everything I need. But if, you're, if your faith is just in your good doctrine, then you're in trouble. Because your good doctrine doesn't save you. Jesus does. That's a scary place to be. You see, the Jews, their doctrine was all messed up. They didn't get anything right. Jesus said, you don't believe. The populist, they struggled. They were weak. They didn't want good doctrine. The 12, the head, Peter says, here's good doctrine. And Jesus just says, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is the devil? He spoke of Judas, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. The urgency of this passage is your faith has to be in Jesus, in the right Jesus. And then your doctrine's going to come, and it's going to be right. It's going to be good. But don't let your faith be in your good doctrine. Because I've known a lot of people, folks, and you have too, who have professed all the right words and may have professed all the right words for years and years and then went out and returned to their vomit, went out and returned to the pigsty. They fulfilled the words of First John two nineteen. They went out from us, for they were not of us. No doubt the Apostle Paul had passages like this in mind, and particularly Jesus' response to the twelve when he said to the church at Corinth, test yourselves, examine yourselves that you be found in the faith. And didn't just leave them there thinking all was well when perhaps not all was well. So for all of us, we all fit in those categories. Some of us may fit in all three of them at some time in our life. But the question is, are we going to repent and believe like Jesus keeps calling them back to? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall have everlasting life. That's the passage. That's the call. The Lord, the master teacher, cutting through it all, bringing them back to the simple point, faith. Faith in him. Faith in who he is, what he did, and what he says.
That's where we have to live. Father, thank you for this passage and ask now that you bless, that you would teach us, that we might not leave this place unchanged, any of us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.